Hey guys, Jake here from the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. Uh, I just wanted to put a quick disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. As you may have heard, here in Western Australia, we are back under lockdown. There have been new restrictions uh, as of Sunday, 6pm. For the next five days, uh, we're going to be going back on a full lockdown. So I just wanted to say, everyone, please keep safe. Uh, wear your mask. Do what you need to do to protect yourselves and your family. I uh, wanted to quickly mention that me and Zeke recorded this episode just a couple of hours before the announcements were made. So it was a safe environment uh, that we recorded it in, just for peace of mind so you don't think we're breaking any laws or anything like that. Uh, as for next week's episode, we are doing a film that's thankfully coming straight to Netflix, so we don't have to leave the house or go to a cinema to watch that. Uh, but I can't say for certain that you know we're going to have a new episode for you the following Monday. We just have to see how things go. Fingers crossed that we can do that. Uh, but until then, stay safe and uh, let's keep on trucking. How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I am Jake. And you're listening to the Cinema Side Show podcast, episode oh. 107. Oh, oh. Nice. Yes. Twice in a row now, you've been struggling. Yes. We usually mention the number before we start for whatever reason. And last two we weeks we haven't done it. No, we just sort of jumped right in. How you doing, Jake? I'm good. We are. This is a, this is a new for us. It's the first time we've ever recorded in my house. Yeah, well, we're in your studio. Mm. Soon to be studio. Yeah, it's a, it's a work in progress, but it looks it's it's in a condition where we can record here. It's got least. nice acoustics. Yeah, nice acoustics. I've actually locked the door, so no one can walk in on us. <laughs> and that means you nice. can't leave either. Yeah, no way in, no way out. <laughs> You're stuck forever. Yeah. Okay, time to bring in that old film quote of the week. The old film quote. We have a quote for you, Zeke, from a 2007 film. Oh. So 107. Um, you know what? I'm pretty sure you've seen this, but I actually didn't double check. I'm confident you've seen this film. Okay. Um, and we'll, we'll see how recognizable the uh, quote is. Are you ready, Zeke? I am ready. All right, your quote for the week is, That ain't no extra sketch. He is one doodle that can't be undid, home skillet. <laughs> hmm. See, I'm not actually confident if you've seen this movie or not. I'm going to quickly check Letterboxd if you've <laughs> given it a score. Do you want me to read it again? Yes, I would love you to reread it. For All right, me. the quote is, They ain't no it's a sketch. He is one doodle that can't be undid, home skillet. I said it a little more like the character says it in this. I'm not sure on this one. Uh, it's this is going to be a second time for you to. I know. Okay, you have seen it according to Letterboxd. You gave it three and a half stars, which I think is a little low. It's a little low. That's okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, unfortunately, yeah, I don't think I've. Don't mm. think I can recall the film. Uh, Wait. Ooh, oh. Is this? You said 2007. 2007. Oh. <laughs> is this The Hangover? No. Oh, okay. No, the movie is Juno. Jason Reitman's Juno. And that is said by... Uh, 2007. Rain, yeah, said by Rain Wilson's character. I did not realise he was in this film until like a few weeks ago. I was like, oh shit, Dwight's in this movie. <laughs> Man, I haven't watched that film probably since it came out. Wow. I've seen it a few times. I, I love Juno. I think it's great. But um, but a three and a half is still a very good score, so I'm not yeah. gonna, I'm not gonna throw sticks at you. That's fair. Well, that's, that's my okay. second slip up. I was yeah. doing so well for You're so now long. Now five for two, which is still pretty good. Yeah, I like being a perfectionist. <laughs> you gotta get a HD one of these, mark. One of these, one of these years, I'll get, I'll get a perfect score. What's the percentage for five out of seven? Oh, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> Zeke can see that I'm on a calculator right now. 71%. All right, you're in a distinction territory, though. Yeah, I've got to get that up to a HD. Yeah. So how you doing, Jake? Yeah, I'm I'm getting sweaty. I forget yeah. how hot it is in here. You know what's actually funny? I was telling you this, but I want to reiterate, because it came up again last night. I got very annoyed. Is that someone from Chile mm-hmm. hacked our family Netflix account last week. Nice. <laughs> And they they did the honor of changing all of our names, like the family accounts. So my brother was Pedro and I'm Miguel. And I noticed this last night. I went to watch something and 
it was in Spanish audio with English subtitles. <laughs> like you cheeky, cheeky. I like how it's just... like they're not even subtle about it. Like no. they change your names. Like <laughs> they change the icons. I was a hat. I used to be Bojack. Now I was a hat. <laughs> That's so strange. And they didn't change the password. Like it's okay to like, like they, it would it would be funny if they were like like, you know like benefiting from your Netflix account. Right, but right. To like not even subtly like do any like to change things. I yeah, it's so funny. The 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 cojones on them. <laughs> the balls on those yeah. on those people. Oh well, well, that that was something that happened. I just wanted to. <laughs> Point that out. Yeah, unfortunately, I've had a really dry week in terms of films, so mm. I haven't caught anything new bar the film of the week. Um, I've been. There's tuning... one film on your account that you didn't talk about last week. No, I did log um, a film I watched a couple uh, weeks ago. Um, oh, okay, but um, don't really have too much to say about. It. I think I talked about it. Oh, it's, I watched Mona Lisa Smile a couple weeks ago. Okay, yeah logged it respectively back but yeah unfortunately other than the film of the week that's all i've really caught i've been continuing my office binge mm. um catching up to me yeah towards the end of season six now Ooh. what happens in season six um yeah and that's pretty much uh all i've gotten up to in the last week on the mm. show that's fair enough i've had a pretty quiet week as well it's it's kind of good because last week i teased the Queen's Gambit, mm-hmm. and I specifically didn't want to talk about last week, so it actually kind of benefited because I can talk about it now when there's nothing else really to talk about. Um, I'll just say quickly: I think the show is great. Mm-hmm. I think it's really excellent. I was kind of surprised because obviously everyone talks about like, oh, it's a chess movie. It's about the 50s, 60s, and you know, female becomes a big world champion sort of thing. Which I know some people who didn't really like that history alternating thing i talked to a couple of people who just weren't a big fan of like oh you know the ending she's she, americans beat the russians but it's like i wasn't really paying any attention to that so i wasn't bothered by it i was more mm-hmm. interested in the sort of the the portrait of womanhood it paints which actually kind of ties into the film of the week mm. but i thought it was just i'm glad it wasn't a feature film i'm glad it was like a seven episode run where it wasn't too long but it, it, it let the story breathe and you could really see the character of beth sort of grow up where we see her as a child and we see her from as Anna Taylor Joy's um, portrayal from like 15 to early 20s and and she absolutely nails the age gap I thought because we saw I think we both agree with this with Little Women last year mm-hmm. that you know uh, as much as I love Florence Pugh I didn't quite buy that she was playing a 10 year old in some scenes and then playing like a 10 year older version of that character like I didn't mm-hmm. really that was one of the reasons I wasn't huge on Little Women is that I could not for the life of me tell when and what was happening and all of that. But, um, and it helps that this story is way more linear in, yeah. in, the, in the telling of it. But, you know, seeing her play 15-year-old Beth and then seeing her play like early 20s Beth, like there is a, ma- you can tell, it's not just the visual, like a haircut's different stuff. Like she generally plays those two different versions of that character so well. Like mm-hmm. I really bought the age jump. Um, so I really thought that was excellent and just sort of the, the again the exploration of it and her determination to win and then sort of her occasional sexual like lust and all I just thought that was all wonderfully explored mm-hmm. and, and visual and even the chess like I'm a layman do you know how to play chess? Uh, yeah I know how to play oh, it okay. I don't know how to play it well <laughs> right right but you know generally what like I know what pieces do what and... gotcha gotcha see I feel you would definitely get a kick out of it more than I would mm. In that perspective I actually got someone a friend of mine tried to teach me t- chess when I was like eight and mm. it just sort of fizzled out because I never like went back to it but um, I think it'd be, it works more like a sports film like the intensity of it it focuses visually more on like the, the actors and like the intensity of like they're portraying like whether they're in danger of losing or I think they portray that all perfectly and that's what for a layman like me uh, can appreciate in the way they're filming it but also i like i liked um the way the chess was sort of a universal language between all the different players in the countries because a lot of them you know maybe um beth speaks english but then her rival only speaks russian for mm-hmm. example but there's almost like a weird communication between the chess board because that is the universal language mm-hmm. of how they're communicating i like i was i kind of liked how they touched on that it wasn't like an overt 
it's almost like we can understand each other. That, <laughs> that line doesn't yeah. exist, but I still got that sense. I was like, oh, this is great. So, Queen's Gambit, it's really great. I binged it in a night. It's pretty consumable and short. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking to watch it at yeah. some point. Um, I took forever to watch it, but it's worth it. I can guarantee. Cool. The yeah. only other thing I want to mention, this is what this wasn't a film or anything. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the voicemails from Strangers, the Austin McConnell YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And we both said this, that we kind of wished... For those who don't know, it's, it's essentially um, a collection of voicemails that this guy like sent out to the universe and people called him and the documentary just plays a lot of those audios of just everyday people talking about their lives and... We both agreed it would have been more interesting to have like a COVID edition mm-hmm. where there was like a more up-to-date people's daily struggles during the pandemic. He actually did in the last week a follow-up video that's only about 90 minutes long. It's more like an episode, which uh, I, don't, I don't want him to do this like episodically. I don't want too many of these. Yeah. But I just wanted to say our wish was almost immediately fulfilled, Zeke. So there's a yeah. COVID version of this now. Well, see, so we're capitalizing on that situation. <laughs> We should produce these things. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, look, I, I think it's sweet, and it's obviously more of a short doco than, than a feature-like 47-minute film, but I thought, I thought it was nice. Like, we wanted it, and, and he gave it to yeah. us, so <laughs> there no you go. No worries. Well, um, have you got... Uh, did you watch anything else? Was that all? Uh, that's week? it for the week, Well, really? we had a quiet week We both this had week. a quiet week, yeah. yeah. I guess we move into our career updates. Have we got any updates in that section? Um, I did think about this, because it's one of those... What what's too early to reveal moments? Yeah, cool. Um, obviously, our interview that we did last week, well, we posted to the show um, with the Crossing Boys, mm-hmm. did really well. I think a lot of people. That's really... up at the Community Cinema for Murdoch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, by the time you hear this, it'll be over. But yeah, it's playing at Murdoch on the thirty first, mm-hmm. the day before this goes live. So, um, but no, there's a lot of great. Um, there's a lot of screenings coming up for it. So, um, I think it's a great film, and I think the interview went really well. So. It was um, very interesting to listen to. Thank you. I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad. <laughs> no worries. Anyway. I guess it's time for us to move into <laughs> our film of the week. But Jake, what are we watching? This week in the show, we're watching Promising Young Woman. Cassandra, we were in class together at Forest. You would have been a great doctor. What happened? I left under unusual circumstances. You remember what happened, right? why I dropped out. I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. We get accusations like this all the time. Who needs brains? They never did a girl any good. I'm so sorry I didn't go with her. You gotta let it go. What are you gonna do? I don't know. Why do you guys have to ruin everything? We were kids. If I hear that one more time, have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was hoping you'd feel differently by now. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. Lately, I've been feeling like I might want to get back into it. Nothing in Cassie's life is what it appears to be. She's wickedly smart, tantalizingly cunning, and she's living a secret double life by night. Now, an unexpected encounter is about to give Cassie a chance to right the wrongs from the past. <laughs> she's wicked smart, bro. <laughs> interesting, very interesting. Yeah, a, yeah, it's an interesting read. Was that off Google? Yep. Oh, interesting. Fair enough. Uh, this is a film directed by Emerald Fennell. And a directorial debut. I was about to say, it is a feature <laughs> directorial debut. Um, she's got one short film credited on Letterboxd. Mm. Apparently uh, it's really hard to find. I the, wanted to see if I could catch it this week, but it's it's hard to find. So, um, yeah, Jake, I, mean, I think we talked about this off the show, but uh, it's worth noting. We've had a very contemporary run recently. Um, yeah, since Soul. This is like our, what, fifth film in a row that's like kind of still in cinema, still fresh. Mm. Well, it is award season, and this film was mm. definitely in that, sort of realm of conversation for rewards and stuff and yeah well it, it uh screened at sundance last year that's when i first heard of it in january and we actually mentioned this film on the show back in uh, we filmed that episode in march mm. our ladybird episode with perry we actually read this uh, as part of the coming to cinemas next week 
And of course, COVID sort of changed that, so the film took another like seven months to come out. <laughs> so um, this one we've been waiting on for a while, but yeah, it's a real uh... just in time for award season. You're correct. So we've got, um, yeah, a really interesting lineup here. And Jake, both of us felt pretty positive about this film. I felt immensely mm. positive and you reasonably positive. Yeah. Um, oh, you talking about the scores? <laughs> just generally looking at the scores. Um, I loved this film. Mm. I We went and saw it together at, um, at Luna. And we got to cash yep. in on your privilege card. Which My privilege card. Oh, I... Luna now does this sweet privilege card system where you can save a lot of money. Yeah. I made a joke. I've actually got your ticket right here. Look at that. I can give you a ticket, Zeke. Oh, sweet. I'll put it on my pin-up board. There you go, your pin-up board. Well, I made the joke to someone that they gave us a privileged cast because we were men watching this film. <laughs> so they put privilege on our <laughs> tickets. Um, yeah, no, you're right. Um, we went together. It was actually my second time watching it. I think I saw it for... I think the one... No, the uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom episode. I think I talked a bit about it then too. But uh, I agree with you. I think the film's great. Mm. I did a little reading in the last couple of days because the ending is very controversial. There's a few hyper-negative reviews that I actually read and was like, I kind of get where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So it is one of those rare films where I can totally understand why someone might hate it and someone might love it. I definitely love it for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, I want to actually throw some of those sort of critique pieces at you and see what you think. Yeah, because I think I'm... Oh, no. <laughs> Poke you in the eye. Uh I loved this film. Like, mm. I, re- I honestly, I think we've been blessed with a really good run of films. Obviously, last week we did have a bit of a uh, polarizing opinion on The Dry, but mm. I really enjoyed it. And then, obviously, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Nomadland. Nomadland. Yeah. You know, we've had a really good run of, of films recently on the show, probably since Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I loved this film. And I think. I said this, I've never watched a film that is so refined in terms, like, like I haven't watched a film in a long time where I feel like it was a very lean film. Like, everything that was in there was right. purpose-driven, uh, bar one scene, which went for about two minutes that I was like, this is the only redundant scene in the whole film. Right. It doesn't very, contribute to the plot. So yeah. Okay. It's very purpose-driven. And I actually think there's a serious intellect to this script and, and definitely um, misleads you multiple times mm. make, to make yep. you assume one thing, but it's actually another thing. And I kind of, I, I, I love that. Like I love mm. the, the misdirect and, there are a couple of like things that I like, like little semantical things that I wasn't the biggest fan of. Okay. But, um, for the most part, it was mostly just like such minute things that it, yeah, didn't really affect my my viewing experience. Right, that's fair, and I and I agree with you. That's one of the first things I walked out with the first time I saw it. Was it a film that tricks you a lot? Mm-hmm. It tricks you several times, and, and we'll, I guess we'll talk a bit about it before spoilers, but um, yeah, you're right, there were several times, and it was great for me to sit next to you the second time and kind of observe sort of your wavelength mm. with the film and see you go through those exact same beats of like, oh my god, that's so messed up, and then be like, oh wait, no, it's actually this thing that's happening, oh my god, what's going on here, surely there's something, oh wow, like mm. that whole roller coaster journey is like my favourite thing about this film. Yeah, and, and I and I keep hate I hate that I keep comparing the films like oh Parasite and Kajillionaire, but they're the best examples in terms of you know the audience sits down and they don't know what to expect, and then they're thrown in this sort of wild journey, and especially because like the logline of of Cassie sort of luring men in and and you know doing yeah what she the, does, the, that's the, I mean the, the misdirect starts with the trailer the trailer mm. misdirects the the course of the film it's, yeah it's very implied that sort of the way and it, it knows what it is it's no it's mm. knowing it likes to trick you and it tricks you from literally the opening scene as we see um sort of the methodology of her night out and how she lures men in and yeah and um it just comes back to that misdirect of her strutting down the street when the title comes up and she's got what we think was originally blood on her leg but it's actually her eating you know a hot dog oh, yeah, and it's the like sauce dripping the sauce down. is dripping down her arm yeah cool and it's detail, like yeah. very much like that right there sets the mood for sort of this misdirect storytelling that yeah. we're about to get yourself into 
Um, For sure. I think one of the biggest strengths I think this film has is is sort of its uh, its intellect and how it handles um, the subject matter. Yeah. Um, obviously, the sort of deconstruction of the nice guy archetype. Um, and I don't personally see this film as being sort of a man-hating film by any by any stretch i think Mm. if anything it's sort of just shedding light on stuff that is very true and very apparent i know i mean i went out last night and it you know it resonated in my head right Uh, you were thinking about it as yeah yeah yeah, and that that resonance is one of its biggest you know pros and I think you know for for Carrie Mulligan, this is an amazing performance. Mm. Um, I think she's excellent in it, and I think her character is incredibly intelligent, but not without flaws, which is where the balance comes in and makes right. her a really, really strong protagonist because there's that vulnerability there. I think I think what's great about her performance is, and you know, there's a few lines in there that are like trying to amp like, oh, you know you've just turned 30 and you're still at home. Like, there's little lines like that that are a little on the nose, but I think her performance a thousand percent shows, like, the stuntedness in Mm. her, where she is sort of someone who's probably 10 years younger than she actually is, and you can tell that, you know, when this horrible thing happened in the past, that the film sort of slowly unravels and lets you find out for yourself. I mean, at the end of the day, she's a med-school dropout, she works at a coffee shop, Mm. she's not someone that... um, just because the only time we ever really see her in her element is when she gets to sort of, you know, pull this play at night where she pretends to be, uh, you know, passed out drunk and, and yeah, sort yeah. of messes with with the men that are supposed to just, you know, kind of put her in a cab and, and take her home, but instead they sort of try and take advantage of her and, and she... Um, you know, it's faking being, you know, intoxicated the whole time. And we get to see that sort of, that's the only time we really get to see her, at least in the first act. Like in of, her element. In an element. Yeah. That's fair. I, because what, what I got was, was again, with the age dump, like she's 30 years old and she's spitting in people's coffees. Like that's her attitude towards her coffee job mm. where it's like by 30, most people have sort of grown up from that thing. And I yeah. love that they show that, and they're like, well, here's why. And she, she completely pulls it off as in terms of her performance. Yeah. So I thought that that's probably the key element to her performance and why it's so great. I think the whole cast is excellent. It's I mean, a really strong cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a huge lineup of people and they've written. It's one of, of those ca- like, Oh, ca- this guy, Oh, that, that chick. Like, yeah. It's Alison Bree. She shows up and, and they've all got like great little bit parts. Like it was, it was, you said it, it was kind of weird to see Bo Burnham and be like, that's the guy who directed 8th grade. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't think I've ever seen him, like, performing before. At least I don't recall seeing him in another film as an actor. Mm. But, yeah, I like that they all get their little parts. Emerald Fennell plays the girl who's doing the blowjob lips uh, tutorial on the phone, which yeah. I thought that was cute. So, um, you're going to hit me with these, uh, these critical opinions before we jump into oh, spoilers I, I think a lot of them are tied to the spoilers okay um, I don't think we need to get there yet because there's a lot I mean you, you touched on the structure of the film mm-hmm. in terms of like first act second act third act and that was actually one of the things I was a little lukewarm on originally yep. and my main goal with this second viewing with you was to really pay attention to the scenes and the order of the scenes and why did I feel like this film went on too many tangents and it because mm-hmm. Every single tangent it goes on is absolutely necessary. You're right mm-hmm. in terms of building up the story with... Um, well, I guess... Yeah, I guess we are kind of getting the spoilers now. Because this, this is a film you need to go in fairly blind. Yeah, you don't really want to know too much about it. And if you go in with spoilers, it's it's probably not going to be as enjoyable. As, yeah. At the end of the day, it's kind of a... It's a psychological thriller. I don't think it's just thriller dark comedy as it's billing, but... Hmm. I definitely think it's more psychological and, and, and thriller. So that sort of genre, you really got to just go and enjoy it and watch it unfold. Yeah, um, a lot of the enjoyment comes from being sort of whiplashed from feeling yeah, to feeling. Absolutely. So I guess we'll jump into spoilers then. Let's do it. So what I wanted to talk about specifically was there's several arcs mm-hmm. in the first through second act where 
you establish what she's doing with you, know, you luring these guys in and this is one of the things we're talking about is the film tricks you because you assume the trailers and even the opening scene and all of these things tell you she's murdering these guys mm-hmm. and it's kind of almost a non-twist twist is that no she's not she's just kind of telling them all off yeah <laughs> which i thought was quite funny um i know you liked that though i loved that i mm-hmm. love that misdirect and the scene with um oh gotta get his name he's mclovin yeah mclovin um christopher mintz Pl- please plaz p-a-p-l-a-s-s-e i'm sorry about that can call him mclovin if you want <laughs> no but like even just that casting and again the casting's great all around but you know the fact that it's mclovin who's you know this terrible sexist coke addict he's like an aspiring novelist you know yeah. <laughs> like all those uh, that was just good casting he's like i'll oh, get this familiar sort of lovable doof and put him in this horrible role yeah and i think it's comes back to how that scene completely plays out mm. um where it's like you know, she like pretends to fall asleep and his yep. reaction and, and how he starts with nudging her and then like literally like shoves her yeah. to get her up. And yeah. then like immediately like, Oh, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it's honestly, it's, it's fascinating that how that scene plays out because it's such a, a power play scene and we really get to see firsthand what she's capable of. Mm. Um, because this is just before she sort of gets her call to action with this mission that she, like, kind of assigns herself because of this traumatic incident that occurred with one of her childhood friends when they were in med school together. Yeah. Um, Nina. So we sort of get to see what... We get to see her wit, her intelligence, and, yeah, we get our first real major misdirect of, of the film because we get to see sort of uh firsthand how she messes with these guys mm. and sort of they're backpedaling and reeling in the moment and oh i'm i'm on drugs yeah I'm drunk, completely I'm... dropping the facade mm-hmm. of the nice guy because yeah you're right it really is a facade because we see it in that little glimpse when he shoves her yeah where it's like she's so unconscious to the point i can actually act this way because she won't see it mm-hmm. the, you know at least the way he thinks um so that is that is a great scene for that reason but that whole arc where she's luring the guys is sort of hit the pause button mm-hmm. before we go to the Bo Burnham stuff with Ryan and we get introduced to him and they go on their date. And then that is put on pause so that she can start messing with, you know, Madison or Alison Brie and mm. then messing with the Dean and stuff like all well, of she these goes arcs- on her, her mission to sort of uh, deconstruct the lives of the people that affected her childhood friend all those years ago well it's sort of just a revenge it's a revenge narrative i'm gonna make madison feel like crap and i'm gonna make her you know have that same awful feeling that no one's listening to or no one believes it because Mm -hmm. that's what she did 10 years ago Mm -hmm. or you you said it was seven was it yeah seven okay yeah well you know that's what she did back then Mm -hmm. and then the dean well the dean ignored her so i'm gonna get revenge and and mess with her daughter and make her feel that same awful feeling of hopelessness and hopelessness will come back in a moment but that's how I saw it. Is there's obviously the the deconstruction there, but I thought it was more just like a straight up revenge. I'm yeah. gonna make you feel like crap because you made my friend feel like crap. Yeah, and I think it comes back to the intelligence of uh, the script that she she doesn't actually commit any like I said this is like she mm. doesn't commit technically she doesn't do anything that wrong it's purely a psychological warfare like you know she didn't spike like when she had drinks with with Alison Bree's character of Madison she just she drinks herself to get drunk yeah like the only illusion is that she's put like what like some sort of ginger ale ginger ale in her own drink that was only for the first drink exactly yeah it was Uh, literally just the kickstart this idea of oh I guess we're drinking I'm gonna drink myself silly yeah and then sort of that, yeah, that that manipulation there. Um, and then with the Dean's character of saying, mm. oh, well, I dropped her off at the dorm um, with all these men. And yeah, yeah. When, in fact, she just dropped her dropped her off at a diner. But it was, you know, she put all the, the right... She just executes these plans so flawlessly and mm. they're so intense. And um, it's another time the film tricks you as well. It was... The film doesn't really tell you that 
you, I genuinely thought, holy crap, she just paid someone to do this to Madison. Like, I mm. thought that's generally what happened. And, and the same with getting the daughter into the boys. And the film tricks you eventually. It's like, oh, she didn't actually do those things. She's basically yeah. just making pranks. So, yeah, yeah to your point, well, the film is constantly tricking us to make us think that something way worse is happening than it actually is for our protagonist mm-hmm. or watch what she's doing in particular. Yeah, and I think, um, obviously, her revenge plot um, sort of hits a bit of a wall when she meets... Uh, uh, I'm going to just call Bo him... Bo Burnham? Well, yeah, well, Bo Burnham's character, um, who... Oh, you talking she about... She starts to... Yeah, well, she starts to, like, date and see yep. and... Um, starts to you know fall for him and develop feelings for him um and it's it's really interesting because uh, the film yeah definitely wants to um sort of highlight the um it's not necessarily um just the people that are doing all these horrible things when they're young it's also the people that stood by and did nothing as yes as um these other people you know committed these heinous acts and um it's definitely aided her character and and so to develop feelings for um someone was like a really big you know big step in development for her character but also shows well it was the sign of her stunted growth being kind of resolved yeah she's allowed to open her feelings up again and essentially grow up and be in this relationship yeah and it, it sort of comes back to the fact that I, that's another one of those sort of reasonings I go, oh, this, I don't think this film's like a man-hating film because mm. it gives enough time to uh, show that there there's definitely like a normality there for at least like parts. Um, like there are people out there, there are good, there are good guys. Right. But it even goes back... Amongst the nice guys. Because I think Ryan especially is someone that we flip back and forth on a lot. I think for the majority of it, we're pretty... I mean, we might be a little cautious, but we're ultimately like, he's he, he's generally a nice mm. guy and he's cares for this person and he's respectful of her decisions on maybe, you know, to not, you know, get too sexual early on in the relationship. He seems like that. Mm. And then, obviously, the film sort of plays with our thoughts on him by the third act. Yeah. And ultimately, what he does, his last act, if you will in the film if anything yeah if anything it just showcases how the nice guy is not simply something that's a one night thing it's a, it can be a even in a relationship mm. where we sort of after you know certain re- revelations come forward and we find out that he was actually present when this horrible thing happened to Nina the yeah. childhood friend of, of Cassie um, he, he reels and he backpedals, much like McLovin's character, but it's, you know, he acts out in anger and denial. He makes and, that comment, oh, then we'll, you know, we'll both not be doctors. You failure, I think he says that line. Yeah, and it's fascinating that that sort of snap moment where he goes through all those those emotions in just such a sh- you know, short burst and we really see, ah, oh, well, it really was just a facade with this yeah. character. Um, you know, certain people well, just... I don't know if it was a facade. Like, I feel like he's generally that person when he's, like, nice and playful when he's sinning mm. um, Paris. Is it Paris Hilton in the... Yeah. Yeah, in the grocery store. Like, I feel like that that's not necessarily a front. I think it's more the fact that he's grown up since because that event didn't affect him. He was involved no. in it, but he wasn't affected. So he was able to grow up and sort of mature and become, um, I forget the term, but, you know, like a, a child, a children's doctor. And... Uh, now, now that it's sort of brought back into his face, that's when he starts acting like the child, and that's when he starts yeah, going off at her. And... Absolutely, and I'd say Alison Bree's character does a very similar thing. Yeah. Madison, um, that's, I think that's what it is. Actually, is I think you're right there. It's all of these people have um, who affected this person's life have now repressed it, and yeah. Cassie's mission is to bring it to light, to bring to acknowledge that it. It, it damaged and affected people's lives. It affected mm. her life personally. Exactly, yeah. um, and I think that comes back to, you know, obviously following the the incident with, with, with Madison and then being told nothing happened, she comes to the forefront and presents this, this tape that was recorded uh, of, you know, Al who, and, and obviously Ryan being present and that's where the revelation comes forward. Mm. But um, so... 
and you know that what we see there is is a character that has sort of come full circle and the mission has been accomplished with with madison's character even even though that wasn't necessarily her mission to out him but him inadvertently being involved it does circle around and it does become that so yeah Yeah, and I, i do think that um you know it comes back to things like um cassie's confrontation with the lawyer who's played by uh, Alfred Molina, who's yes. not credited. I noticed that the first time I was like, he, why is he not credited in this film? Fascinating. Um, <laughs> it's weird. So Doc Ock. Doc uh, Ock. <laughs> um, has honestly one of the, one of the best scenes of the film because mm. obviously she's conven- you know, continuing this revenge plot and she's going to target the lawyer that protected Al all those years ago. Um, who was one of the, the med school graduate that did all the horrible things to Nina. Alan Rowe, uh, and yeah. um, he, uh, we're greeted with a character that's sort of a husk of what, whatever he was all those years ago, and and has had some form of psychological breakdown, um, and he is a mess, and Cassie actually feels sympathy for him, and actually you know offers forgiveness yeah um calls off whatever that guy was gonna do do yeah which i'm curious now because we know that she's not like a murderer what what was he gonna do don't know Uh. it definitely the longer it went on though like the longer the the film went on she Mm. definitely starts to push towards breaking more laws and stuff she becomes more a little more unstable unhinged yeah the closer she got to al i felt the more closer she got to committing a crime i mean right well the closest she probably ever gets is ironically the one scene that off the show you told me was the one scene you would probably cut or didn't think was mm. wholly necessary is the scene when she gets out of i think this takes place right after the alf no no this takes place after the dean mm-hmm. scene where she gets out of the car and and with uh, the tarot the, and... yeah or was it the crowbar or t- as a tar okay yeah but she smashes the the headlights or the the back headlights of the car and windshield yeah and and yeah pretty much a taxes guy more or less yeah and it's sort of i think a little too early for that scene if you were go i would actually probably shift that scene later right but then it could also come back to she's becoming more volatile um it's, that could be what that scene represents she's becoming well, more closer she gets to Al himself the more she's getting sort of you know escalating her her feelings because yeah. uh, she's really starting to tap into that trauma and i think that's why that sort of stuff yeah it starts to escalate because like you said you don't know what was going to happen when she confronted um doc ock uh <laughs> alfred, no, Malina. alfred Malina's <laughs> character um it's because they didn't put his name in the credits. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know what to credit him as. <laughs> Those bastards. <laughs> um, and, you know, and when she gets hit with sort of a wall because this character is, uh, you know, he actually knows her name. Like, he only knows that he can see it. He, he remembers Nina's name, uh, yeah. Like, he doesn't remember the surname, but he knows. And then he goes through all of the horrible things do that he had to do. Do we ever learn Nina's surname? I don't think we do. I think no Fisher. I think oh Fisher. yeah, you're right, it's Nina Fisher. Fisher. She says that at the end, of course. Um, uh, but yeah, so you know, he actually is the only character that knows, or like, right. or has at least some a, remembrance of yeah, her name. Yeah, of course, because like Alison Bree's character Madison knows of obviously knows the name, but chooses to avoid saying it. Mm. Like you know, and the dean doesn't remember it at all. And you know, when we get to the end of the film, Al knows the name he remembers it immediately yeah you're right immediately sort of um, triggers him and then even he says oh you're nina's friend yeah. he doesn't know cassie's name well this all ties back i didn't do a lot of research on this but what i do know is that so the title promising young woman is actually a reference to the term that they used for brock turner who was in a very similar case and this is kind of what i want to say the film's based on but it's a, a case that the film definitely looked mm-hmm. at who was called a promising young man Mm-hmm. And that was a def- that was his defense to try and get him off, um, and the whole film is is regarded around the fact that people remembered his name, but they don't remember uh, Channel Miller's name, and that she actually wrote a book called Know My Name, mm-hmm. and that whole situation and the situation that they explore in this film is in relation to remembering their name mm-hmm. and remembering the victim's name over the perpetrator's name. Well, it's it's about acknowledging 
that like what you've done that they're a person be accountable yeah um and i think that that's what that is is that is definitely one of the through line themes is is sort of holding people to accord and making them accountable because cassie has carried this weight with her because she felt responsible she felt accountable yeah for not being there when nina needed her and so her whole revenge plot is mostly just trying to recognize people need to be held accountable people need to remember when they make mistakes so they don't make those mistakes again and um yeah i think that that's definitely the uh, it comes back to the you know sort of the climactic pre-climactic scene when she's got al's character sort of you know you know pinning predicament and literally <laughs> pinning predicament I like um that. you know she you know he's handcuffed and he can't move yeah and, um she quite simply yeah she says that well you're going to remember her name because he's gonna she's gonna carve, carve it, into, it into his skin <laughs> very joker-esque moment yeah, yeah um so i think you're 100 percent right it is definitely about sort of remembering and carrying that weight with you and being held accountable because the fact is when everyone is brought to every one of those characters bar um alfred molina's character um when they're when they're brought up about the nina incident they either reel they don't acknowledge or they, they dismiss don't remember it, yeah. they dismiss it straight away you're they, right and he's the only one that he's like i gave my address away i knew this day was coming in there reckoning he's mm-hmm. open about it and then he's ultimately forgiven because mm-hmm. she understands he remembered her name and he is taking responsibility for his actions and what he did and for his part in getting uh, Al Monroe off. Mm-hmm. And that he did it countless times, I think, with yeah. other with other men. So, yeah, no, I think it's definitely a consistent sort of theme. And again, it is represented because you're right. He's really the only one that she lets off. Yeah. Um, and even Bo, Bo Burnham doesn't really get let Well, off. I mean, it comes back to when he watches that video. Hmm. He doesn't... I don't want to look at this. I don't want to look at he that. He doesn't want to look at it. Yeah, he yeah. tries to avoid it. Um, probably one of the things we haven't really addressed is, uh, yeah, performances. Other than Kerry Mulligan's performance, what do you think of Bo Burnham? No, I think he was great. I actually liked him all the second time because I think I kind of knew where they were going with his character. I think I was so distracted by, mm. like... Because I think going into it, and it's like that for, you know, I think of films like Wonder Woman, and we talked about it on uh, Never Really, Sometimes, Always, like how are men portrayed in general mm-hmm. in these films? And I kind of, I like it better here, because I think they took it pretty cartoonishly far in both those other films I mentioned. Like, yes, even Never Really, Sometimes, Always. Here, I don't mind it, because they have a very particular thing where, you know, they act like sort of this, this hound dog. And almost immediately when they're, they're cornered or they realize that she's sober, they, they sort of turn into a bit of a whimpering child. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, they reel back. Or My favorite is is the guy when Bo Burnham finds the two together leaving the club. And he's like, you just you just have to ruin everything. His voice gets a little high and he sort of runs away. It's um, I feel like that's really consistent. So when I look at Bo Burnham's portrayal versus all of that, where the film is clearly trying to tell us something different about this guy... Mm-hmm. I think he's good. I liked him all the second time. His jokey nature, and I didn't think it was corny or anything. I think I think I warmed up to it. So, what did you think of the character of Ryan? I liked his character. I think um, he offers a really good um, sort of subplot. Um, I think uh, you sort of we got where we needed to go with with his character. I think mm. it shows the complexity of the nice guy archetype and what. Um, you know what is capable of you know how easy it is for someone to sort of um, hiding sort of covert like covertly sort of act a certain way one like I do think he is a like like you said I think he definitely expresses care and affection and yeah. stuff but it's the he's authentic it's just it comes back yeah. to yeah when you know you're in, you know you're in, the accountability when like, he's brought that thing in front of him he says get it away from me I don't want to look at it which is kind of I just thought about it it kind of is the polar opposite to Alfred Molina's character where he's a bit more creepy and he sort of you know gets on his knees and jumps on mm. on Carrie Mulligan and but he's uh, repentful or he, rather he's he feels sadness for what he did absolutely and then Bo Burnham's the other way around where he's like a nice charming lovable guy mm-hmm. but he can't handle this information and coming back to this and he sort of lashes out and calls her names and 
I think they're at those two in particular drastically uh, juxtaposing characters. I yeah, think. I thought that was clever. Um, did you want to talk about these uh, critical right? Let's inputs. Let's do it. So, as I as I said, the ending was very controversial with a lot of people. So, do we want to quickly? Do, or is, yeah, let's let's talk about it. Okay. I guess. Um, so, well, basically, like uh, she conven- uh, continues her revenge plot. Uh, she gets the address from Bo Burnham's character. She threatens to leak that video and destroy his career. Yeah. To find uh, our Monroe, finally. Uh, to find our Monroe. And, of course, he's having a stag night in a log cabin in the middle of nowhere. Um, so she sort of uh, costumes up as a, as a stripper and manages to get Al where, you know, where she wants him, like, by, you know, by one-on-one and hmm. chained up. And we get a really good monologue between the two, a really good dialogue exchange, but... Obviously, Al's character gets free and ends up actually killing her. Kills her. And she's dead. Yeah. She, she's dead. <laughs> she's dead. dead. And, and the whole theater's like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> and there's still 25 minutes left in the film. Uh, I mean, not 25, but about, yeah, there's... Probably about 20? There's a... Di- no. 15? Maybe maybe 15. Maybe. Okay. There's enough, to, there's enough to make you there's think plenty that of screen time there's left, going yeah. to be a punchline, but there's enough doubt there. Yeah. To just um, because obviously um, I'm trying to remember his name. Well, the film sort of tricks. Oh, I can get um Al Monroe's name on here. Oh, where did he go? Uh, Chris Lowe, Lau. Oh, okay, Chris Lau. And um, Max Greenfield, who plays Joe, his best man, comes in. They have kind of like a dark comedy esque exchange. It's actually. hilarious, but you can't laugh because your main character just got choked to death. <laughs> It's kind of a uh, yeah. But it's a hilarious scene, and it's it almost feels like you know we we talked about um the Hangover earlier. It almost feels like a, a raunchy male teen comedy where oh no the guys killed the stripper whoopsies what do we do about this? It almost turns into that movie. I think full for credit minutes. for Chris Lowe's performance allows performance. I mean he only gets what the 20, 20 to twenty five minutes from the start of the stand. Right, we ending. haven't seen him the whole film. There's no flashbacks. He, we get like a one like Facebook esque scroll, but we actually don't know what this character looks like. And we've this character, you know, obviously the video. We don't see his anything from the video. We just hear the video. So it's actually a remarkable like reveal because at this point we have this guy has been painted a monster, right. and his first. I mean, in all fairness, I wasn't too surprised that he sort of he walked in and. His shirt was tucked in. He's like, hey, guys, God, why are you ordering a stripper? I didn't, like, mm. she's going to kill me. I wasn't too surprised that they did that mm-hmm. to try and subvert your... But they, they still go the other way where, of course, he finds out. And yeah, of course. Like Bo Burnham switches. Snapped. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it, I think that, you know, obviously that, that sequence when she's dead in the bed and Max Greenfield's character of Joe comes in and they do have, like, a kind of a comical exchange but it's like Chris Lowe's character is like breaking down and it's yeah. traumatic because he actually has killed someone and it's sort of the weight of that <laughs> but it's, it's almost like what I said with the other guys where it's almost they're almost comically over sad like they're not like mm. the unemotional man like he is bowling what am I gonna do what am I gonna do it's so perfect mm. like pitch perfect sort of subversion of expectation for how a man would deal with that situation He's like crying and like, well, I'm gonna. I I don't know. I just I love that they kept doing that. Yeah, yeah. And of course that leads to them burning the body mm-hmm. and, um, sort of a you know this this character of Joe is is very um, yeah he he's tonally like he's definitely built for comedy films. I mean, like a yeah. hand goes out and he kicks the hand in the fire and it's like it's kind of a strange sequence because then obviously it leads into uh, a prolonged wedding sequence where you you really think that they've gotten away with murder well it's overly colorful and sweet and and it really does feel like again the end of the hangover when every they've made it and the wedding's going off without a hitch and everything's great and the best buddies they covered this murder together and and saved his marriage it's it's brilliant it's because that's yeah, what the movie turns into for um, 10 minutes 
and of course that leads to obviously the, the final yeah the final kick which is a, you know a, a collection of scheduled messages sent to Bo Burnham's character yeah Alfred um, Molina gets a letter saying that. if I don't come back this is what's happened to me and you know it's not only just the wedding sequence it's the FBI interaction with Bo Burnham's character mm. where he doesn't seem all that interested and he honestly thinks ah oh, mental it's probably mental health he probably she's probably well e- even her father which we set off the air is like really the only like truly sweet innocent male character in the film mm. even he's like oh well she's had some problems before she'll turn up mm. and then you're right Bo Burnham on, on a dime is like oh well she's prone to hurt herself she's probably just gone mm. somewhere even though he knows exactly what's happened yeah he a thousand percent knows what happened absolutely yeah so um, what was this do you want to shed some critical light on this? Right. So uh, some of the resistance I've seen to the ending, which I kind of do understand, is that the film essentially... Uh, uh, what's the word? It has its cake and eats it too, which I never liked that phrase. It's like, of course, if you have your cake, you're going to eat it. Why would you just <laughs> stare at it? But <laughs> basically what I'm trying to say is um, the film is trying to have it both ways, where it becomes a very serious... Uh, depiction of hopelessness and your your female protagonist fails and is killed and the guy gets away with it. It's trying to do that while simultaneously having this like your yas queen, you go girl moment of she still wins in the uh basically in the afterlife. She still gets them. And I see a lot of people they don't like that it's not one or the other way. And that it's you know, it could be a female revenge story, but it can't also be this har- harrowing like hopelessness sense is trying to show like these are what women feel like all the time now i get it Mm. i still like the ending because i think it's within her character that she was prepared to do that if she died that she would have this alternative plan to get him absolutely like i buy it a thousand percent so well that's a pure revenge mission at that point having plan b and i think it comes back to you said something when we left the the cinema that it's like it's kind of it still has that that message in it that it took two girls to die in order to get yes, this guy. That, there's um, still that element of sadness because it's like to get this one dude after like seven plus years, hmm. two women had to die. And the, and the fact of the matter is it's, it, the film has showcased how many horrible men are out there hmm. and we're only getting one of them. Yeah. Like, I mean, Joe's character is the one that suggests to burn the body and is, is quite heartless and he doesn't get arrested. He gets to yeah. still be free. And we don't know how, you know, how it's going to work for Al's character. But if I think that that element of sadness is definitely still there because yeah. we've seen all these other characters and what they're capable, all these other male nice guy characters and what they're, they're potentially capable of. And so to get the one is definitely a yas queen moment, but <laughs> it, it's, um, yeah, it's at what cost exactly at what that's what i took away is that look the, the what the cost it took just to get this one guy mm. it shouldn't be this hard to and do i think that, that montage yeah. of, of people and, and obviously having that scene where um you know her parents are being interviewed and stuff we definitely see the you know cascading effect that it's going to have with her not being there anymore and being yeah. and being dead the cascade effect of cassie not being there anymore mm. <laughs> exactly <laughs> So, uh, did you want to go into highlight scenes? You got anything else? Um, I just want to quickly talk a bit about the style of the film. Okay. Which is one of the things I wish was a little more consistent because the film opens up, we talked about this, it sort of has this teenage girl diary, colourful font to it, the way Promising Young Woman sort of spelt out and she does have the literal diary and then the film sort of... I I didn't find that that was all that consistent because it was great in the beginning but then it turns into these Roman numerals that are quite, mm. like, bold, strong lettering. Yeah. Um, which, you're right, is more reminiscent of, like, a like a straight uh, revenge story. Mm-hmm. But I... I don't know. I thought they could have got away with having those... And they're not technically Roman numerals because it is, like, the four eyes and then the cross through. Mm-hmm. I, that's not Roman numerals. That's something yeah. else. Um, I don't remember what the term is, but I think they could have got away with having those still in, like, that colourful teen girl diary font yeah i I definitely agree that that was a little inconsistent um i think other stylism though was was pretty everything else was pretty consistent like visually in terms of cinematography and Mm. stuff that was all yeah yeah. through line pretty yeah but i do admit yeah that the titles that can be a little frustrating with the inconsistency there for sure 
Because um, I think even just having like the one, two, three, four, five kind of it messed with the pacing of the film. I think literally just having them there because now it feels like, you know, step one is starting. You know, we, we said that that's probably when the second act begins mm-hmm. is when like the, the Roman numeral one appears. But it just feels, I don't know, it messed with my pacing because then she does one, two, three, then sort of drops the revenge story and then it becomes four and five again. Mm. And I don't, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I like I said, I wish that they were more kind of colorful, like mm-hmm. the beginning of the film. But I, more so, I just wish that they weren't even there. Yeah, because I know it reinforces the revenge, like step by step plan. But it, for me, it actually kind of made the pacing feel weirder. Like I was kind of like, it felt like more of a tangent than it should have been. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we wrap yeah. the. No discussion. worries. Well, it's time to move into our highlight scenes. Jake, mm. what was your highlight scene? Um, this was really tricky, but I'm probably going to settle with the sort of the back-to-back scenes of, of uh, Cassie sort of messing with Allison and the Dean. Uh, just those plans being played out and flourishing, mm. these one-on-one dialogues where, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily think the coverage was all... It was, you know, pretty medium close-ups and a lot of side room not mm-hmm. headroom I think there was headroom in the Dean scene but there was a lot of like they're both like on the left side of the screen mm-hmm. or the right side of the screen and there's all this room in the background but I just liked the the way it plays with the audience the way where you jump into that scene and you are like oh my god she's doing this horrible thing to both these characters mm-hmm. and it sort of reels you back in a little bit and it's like oh okay she, she actually left her in a diner that's fine Oh, like, they just tucked her to bed. That's fine. Like, it wasn't yeah. as egregious as she made it out to be, or even the film made it out to be. So... That's the power of implication, yeah. Exactly. What we're not told. Yeah, exactly. Um, I would have to say mine would be probably the McLovin scene. I think that plays <laughs> out really well and sort of, in a nutshell, encompasses what the film is trying to say. Yeah. Um, I really like that. Last thing I'd like to say is big shout out to the score. The score was... Oh, my like, God. Yeah, the music's incredible excellent Jeez, we didn't even talk about that yeah no worries well promising young woman is currently out in cinemas near you near speaking you. of cinemas jake what's new in cinemas and streaming platforms this week <laughs> i like the segue <laughs> so i just want to say quickly that chaos walking did not come to stand this past week so you're giving us false information I got, hey i did say take it with a grain of salt because i didn't believe it when i saw it uh, apparently march uh, 4th is the date for it. Big jump. And it might actually come to cinemas now. So I don't know what's going on. There you go. I don't know who's lying to me. But anyway, uh, what is allegedly coming to stand in this next week? You have Brie Larson's Room, not The Room, uh, Tom Cruise's Oblivion, and the season finale for Your Honor, the Brian Cranston show. So I have now have an excuse to binge that show Mm -hmm. since it's about to wrap up. And coming to cinemas this week... You have Wild Mountain Fime. I think that's T-H-Y-M-E. It's like rhyme, but with a T. Oh, okay. I think that's how it's said. Uh, sees a pair of star-crossed lovers in Ireland get caught up in their family's land dispute. The Nest, which was an official selection at Sundance last year, sees life for an entrepreneur and his American family begin to take a twisted turn after moving into an English country manor. I think we saw a trailer for this one. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks quite dramatic and... Oh, it's uh, Jude Law's in it, I think. Yes. Yes, yes we have seen the trailer That's for the it. one. And finally, The Food Club, which sees three lifelong girlfriends travel to Italy together to attend a cooking course where they learn that friendship is the most important thing, Zeke. It's the most important that, ingredient. That's the, <laughs> Look at that. See, you can write these better than these guys do already. Exactly. Well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show, but Jake, what are we watching? Next week on the show, we're watching Malcolm and Marie. You are by far the most excruciating, difficult, stubbornly obnoxious woman I've ever met in my entire life. I fucking love you. Oh, he's so sensitive. He's romantic. But he's sweet, right? Well, I mean, yeah. When he's not being an emotional fucking terrorist. Oh. (laughs) I love the way you see the world, Marie. mystery the unknown it's what supports the tension of a relationship you're angry no the what if factor marie 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 
what if there's someone who loved them better? A filmmaker and his girlfriend return home from his movie premiere. Smoldering tensions and painful revelations push them towards a romantic reckoning. Ooh. I'm really looking forward to this film. Zendaya, John David Washington, the protagonist. <laughs> the prota- it should be called the protagonist and Marie. We've already made this joke. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sure we have. Honestly, I'm really looking forward to this film. Um, it looks great. It looks so good. I think just off that synopsis that you've just, or that little log line you've read, I'm like, oh, I think this is a good time to watch that film for me. Yeah. <laughs> Creatives well, in relationships. There you go. The romantic reckonings. Yeah. I love that write-up. Um, so it's directed by uh, Sam Levinson, who is a, of a Euphoria fame. So he has a working relationship this. with Zendaya. I really want to watch it. Yeah. I think it's on Binge. I think i got to oh, get Foxtel. Binge. Oh, it's on Foxtel? Oh, Foxtel Go. Oh, my goodness me. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll watch it. I'll watch it somehow. But, yeah, that's coming to Netflix in the next week, so very easy for us to sit down. We don't have to make our way to the cinema. Lovely. This one. Well, <laughs> until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. And we'll catch you next week with Malcolm and Marie. <laughs> <laughs>